Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. Amen. All right, I um, I want to. How many of you guys know I'm transparent? Can you can you guys say that? Like I tell you what's going on. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, if I haven't, I've failed, and we need to start over. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you guys because a lot of the things that you said you know, relying on God and it not making sense. A lot of those things have been things that have been on my heart for some time. Um, I've been having a little bit of a rough go of it for about a week and a week and a half. Um, Just a lot of things. My family, we've kind of been under a little bit of attack. And personally, I've been under attack mentally, emotionally. I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety even this morning. I don't feel good at all. Um, That's a word. At all good tall I feel I don't feel good at all um and so thinking through all that I was asking God like what what do I do and God began to speak to me a little bit before Mike had asked me about having you guys come that's why I didn't just give you the whole space because I felt like I had something that I had to share um can I ask you guys a question how many of you guys when you're down on yourself compare yourself to somebody else come on just be honest take your halos off set them in the seat next to you and say at least i'm not as bad as they are <laughs> like i may not have it all together but at least i don't look like that <laughs> come on you all do it don't it's bad but <laughs> comparison's a thief of joy that's what faith always says but you do it. it's a human habit i mean it, it's part of our fallen nature when we are down on ourselves we try and lift ourselves up sometimes by comparison and sometimes by putting other people down, don't we? Well, I'm going sh- to I'm gonna share a little bit from my heart, one of the things that I do. <laughs> I, <laughs> my wife, oh Jesus, <laughs> she doesn't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so one of the things I love to do is I like to read 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. And here's why. Because Paul is credited with two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he writes to the Ephesians, one of the most beautiful letters ever written. I mean, some of the stuff in Ephesians is just outlandish, spiritual heights like nobody's business. It's just amazing. And they get into the armor of God. It's incredible. Then he writes the Romans, and he writes this beautiful theological treatise. And, you know, the closest thing to a system theology we have in the new testament he writes to the galatians yeah they have a little legalism but he talks about the freedom that we have in christ and he gets into the fruits of the spirit the thessalonians he he doesn't even have to deal with problems with them he tells them hey i don't even have to teach you how to love god taught you that so let's talk about end times i mean all these letters it's just all this beautiful stuff and then you have the corinthian church and they're dealing with division. They're dealing with, they don't know how to define what an apostle is. They're dealing with sexual immorality. They're dealing with incest. They're dealing with Christian celebrityism. They're dealing with heresy. They're dealing with people abusing the Lord's Supper. They're dealing with, I mean, the, the, they don't even know what the resurrection is. They're saying that it's already over. I mean, it's just one issue after another, and that's just in the first letter. And so when I'm feeling down on myself, 
<laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm screwed up. And I'm like, I'm messed up. I can go read Corinthians or just even think about it for a minute. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not that bad. <laughs> or if I think I'm, you know, our church is perfect, so I'm not talking about our church. But, <laughs> but when I'm, <laughs> Lord, forgive me for lying. <laughs> no. <laughs> But, I, but when, I'm thinking, when I'm dealing with church problems, I can think about the church at Corinth, and I'm like, we really ain't that bad. We ain't, we ain't messed up like that. And it isn't because the church, I've just put the church at Corinth down. It's because, guess what? Paul didn't give up on them. Paul didn't give up on them. I mean, turn over to 1 Corinthians if you want to. He could have started it off like this. He could have said, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to add in ad absurdum, where he could have just continued on and said, hey, I've heard about some of the stuff you're dealing with. It's a little bit too messy. I don't want to get involved because I really can't help you out. Have a nice life because your eternity is a little questionable. <laughs> that would have been a short epistle and probably wouldn't have made it into canon. But he doesn't do that. He literally starts and off, begins to offer a remedy for everything that they're dealing with. And it's one of the lengthiest letters in the New Testament. But it isn't just that. It's the way that he goes about it. The way that he goes about it baffles me a little bit. And I say that a lot because... Every time I get in the New Testament, I really start thinking about what I'm reading. It blows my mind. This book can't be man written by man. I mean, if you give it any time at all, it literally shatters the argument that it was just thrown together by men. Thrown together by some fishermen. Thrown together by a man who was a former, you know, Judaizer, was a former Jew, who then became a Christian and in 14 years built this and constructed this whole system of faith on his own like that that argument is so weak when you begin to read this book if we were dealing with this if we were in a situation in our modern time and we had a church that had these problems you know what we would do we we would either we'd kick them out of our denomination we'd shut them down uh, you know, we'd fire the pastor. <laughs> I mean, we'd go in and we'd say, okay, we're going to need some marriage counselors because there's some people over here that don't really understand marriage. We're going to need a nutritionist because there's some people over here who are getting gluttonous at the Lord's Supper. And we're going to need, you know, some legal advice because people are suing each other. We're going to need a mediator because there's division in the church. We're going to need some courses in systematic theology because people are in heresy we're going to need hey, you guys over here you're going to just need you need some medication some pharmaceuticals because i don't even know what's going on with you but i mean seriously this is how we in our day if we had a church like this, this is how we deal with it isn't it i have these conversations i've seen it handled this way i've seen pastors get fired i've seen people get dismissed from the church I've seen the church split in two. I've seen people say, you need counseling. Let me recommend a good non-Christian psychiatrist for you. And I'm not saying all those things are inherently evil. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those things are inherently bad or inherently evil. Because sometimes they are good and sometimes they are needed. 
But what I'm saying is that's always our first response. In our day, that's our first response. Guess what? It's not Paul's. Paul goes through and he begins to offer criticism and instruction. But before he does all that, you know what he says? I love this because I can say this. You know what he says? Hey, will you guys throw that slide up real quick, the one I showed you? This is what he says. Ready for it? Three, two, one. I know nothing. That's what he says, seriously. He says, I know nothing. And I'm like, hey, Paul, I can get behind that. <laughs> I know nothing. With, with one little exception. One little success, exception. I know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's read a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're just going to read five verses. Not that much. Verses. Starting in verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I read this, and I add over the course of my life, the course of our ministry, I have had so many people just say, you need to do it this way. You need to do it this way. You need to deal with it this way. And this week, when I was just asking, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? This came into my heart and my mind. And I was reminded about when I came here. And I was reading the words of Paul. And it was like they were my words. It was like God was taking them and he was applying them to our situation, to me here, and to what he's called us to do. And it just began to echo in my heart. And I don't even know if that really makes sense because I'm words, that, our English language sucks because it doesn't really ever have the ability to communicate what you feel. You guys know that, like, I'm, I'm speechless, I'm at a loss for words. We have those phrases and they're so common because words just fail to communicate what it is that we're trying to get across. When I got here, when I came here, and the very first message that I ever preached, did I ever make anyone a promise that I was the smartest or the wisest or that I was the most eloquent? That never came out of my mouth and it never will. I didn't come with human eloquence. I didn't come with human wisdom. And what I love about what Paul says is Paul doesn't say, just know nothing. That's not what he says. He says, I resolved to know nothing. Meaning, I know some of the human wisdom. Listen, me personally, I've been to the seminars. I've read the books. I've read so many books about church mechanics and church building and church structuring and how to conduct ministry and how to get people to stay in your church and how to get crowds in and how to communicate and set up leadership till my head spins. I've been to the classes. I've been to the seminars. I've been to the conferences. I've read the books, got the material, got the t-shirt. We're ready to go. And I'm serious about the t-shirt. I've got t-shirts. But 
what's the what's the point? What's what's the point? What's the point with that? Because at the end of the day, whatever you win somebody with, you have to keep them with. Whatever you win them to is becoming God for them. Paul doesn't say, I don't know the wisdom. He's saying, I resolved not to know it. Meaning, I've got it. It's there. But I resolved to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolved, I made a commitment that I wasn't going to know anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was my passion. That, that was my mission. And he says, I can tell you this, I have been from day one proclaiming God's testimony. Every time we get up here, it's from this book. Every time, everything that's said from behind this pulpit is from this book or about an experience or a testimony of something that occurred because of this book. If anyone ever gets behind, I give you guys permission right now. If I ever stand up here and I preach something that isn't in this book, write, write to my superiors, fire me, ship me out, tell me to go home, because if it isn't in this book, I don't want anything to do with it. Anybody stands up here and preaches from this book, they'll never come back. Because it's all only what's in this book. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the testimony of God and nothing else. That's it. Not that we don't know anything else. It's that we have resolved to know one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Corinthian church had problems out the wazoo. And they're all going to be addressed. But before they can be addressed, we've got to lay the foundation. When I was among you, I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's through that lens that we can begin to deal with all this other stuff. But if we get the foundation off, then we're, we're hopeless. If we get the foundation off, we're hopeless. And there are people that will say that that's wrong. There are. Listen, there are people that will, I'm thinking of a particular book that I read, and they'll talk about what's called double-barrel preaching. And they'll say, you need to preach a message that is oriented in a certain way so that whether somebody is a believer or whether somebody is a non-believer you're not going to upset anyone and you're not going to offend anyone and no one's feelings are going to get hurt and they'll, they'll say that we need to conduct our services in a way that no matter who's here they're that they're comfortable in worship that they're comfortable under the word worship isn't designed Goats aren't usually comfortable with sheep. <laughs> what are we doing this for? I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm not trying to conduct messages to make everybody feel okay or feel good. I'm preaching Jesus, what God tells me in the moment. And people have told me, because I've had these conversations and people have gotten angry at me. And I've had people tell me that I was arrogant and prideful. And that's why the words echo in the very, next, the very next verse. He says, I came to you with weakness and with great fear and trembling. 
And it's weakness because I know and I feel in myself every day that I don't deserve to be up here. I know who I am. I know the failures and the mistakes that I've made. I know the shortcomings. I know the things that I think and the way that I feel. I know that I am not worthy to be up here. It's because God called, otherwise I wouldn't be up here. It's because God left no choice. Because there are a lot of jobs out there that are a whole lot easier. And that pay a lot more. So it can't be about the money. It can't be about the ease of the job. It can't be about how comfortable it is. And it's not just weakness because of that. Let me tell you something about weakness. You can ask, as God and my wife are witness, every single time I stand behind this pulpit, at the end of the day, I'm on the verge of tears, I'm destroyed, I'm exhausted, and I am in the state of depression because I have poured it all out right here. It's easy to do it the other way. It's easy to go online and download a sermon outline and the images to go, PowerPoint images to go with it. That's easy if that's all it was. But resolve to do know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's weakness to stand up and say, God, what do I present to Him this week? Because I don't want to just present something that's from human wisdom or from man's wisdom. I want to present the heart of God and I want to know what God is speaking to His people. Because anything else is pointless. Anything else, I shouldn't even be up here. And I'm not saying that I have it all together and I have it all figured out because I don't believe that I do. That's why it's weakness and it's fear because what if I'm wrong? I'm putting all my eggs in one basket and I'm saying, God, you're telling me to preach this. What if I'm wrong? Or God, I'm, I'm following you and I'm expecting you to show up. What if he doesn't? I believe that's why Paul says I'm, I'll be a fool for Christ. Because I believe that church should suck if God doesn't show up. Church should be boring if God doesn't show up. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Does that even need me to say anything? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Listen, if I can persuade you in, somebody else can persuade you out. If I can preach a message on hell and scare somebody in the kingdom, somebody else can scare them out. If I can convince you, you can be unconvinced. That's why it's not with wisdom or eloquence or well-written sermons. I didn't even write this. I'm sure you can tell because it's, herky-jerky and whatever. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you from my heart that if it isn't God, then it doesn't happen. And this is who I am. If it isn't God, it doesn't happen. I open my mouth and I say, look, there's no notes and there never will be. If it isn't God, it doesn't happen. 
because I don't want anything else. I want Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want everything to be about Jesus and Jesus only. I want it to be so centered around Jesus that anytime anything happens, we say, well, what about Jesus? We're facing a situation, what about Jesus? <laughs> Listen, we have, we have the, the council, the church council meetings. You know, it's hard if, if you're in the council meetings, and I've been in elder board meetings, not at this church because, you know, ever, ever since I've been here, everything's been, been really great. But some of the council members, some of the deacons, you guys have had some pretty heated discussions in that room, haven't you? Over the course of the last several years or your, your time or your tenure as a, as a deacon, there's been some pretty heated conversations, some pretty difficult conversations. I mean, anytime in leadership, you're in leadership, there's difficult conversations. I've been in boardrooms and elder rooms, and, and there's been people yelling and people upset. And in one of the rooms, we hung a cross on the wall so that anytime everybody started to get escalated, one of us could just walk over and just touch the cross and wait until everybody could just look at the cross. And we could just say, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. It's about Jesus it's not about how well we can orchestrate the budget. It's not about whether or not we're in the black or in the red. It's not about whether or not the seats are full or they're not. <laughs> Listen, if we are judging Jesus' ministry by today's standard of metrics, Jesus failed. He had a mega church and he reduced it down to a 12 and then he reduced the 12 down to 5 and then he reduced the 5 down to 3 and then he reduced the 3 down to 1 and then the 1 down to none. He failed if we're looking at it through our standards and our metrics. So we can't. we got to find a new scoreboard. And I think it's this right here. As long as we're faithful to this, as long as it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we know nothing else. We know nothing else. And that's the way that it's always going to be with me. I, I've taken... I've taken the classes, I've done the study, and there was a season, you can ask my wife, it was a terrible season where I got so into the programs and I got so into the structures. Listen, I can set up the classes. We can have the ladder of church growth and the leadership pathway and the pathway of assimilation to get you assimilated into the congregation, to get you on the leadership ladder so that you can then be a reproducer. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying is we turn it into 2 plus 2 equals 4 and we just calculate and factor God right out of the equation. And all we do is we just, we just want the church to grow. You know how many pastors I've talked to are people that used to be pastors, people that I've talked to and people that have, I've listened to that have just walked away from ministry because they got it backwards. They said, I got to a place. How many of you guys are familiar with Mars Hill? A church that just exploded into a mega church almost overnight and then just as quickly came crashing down. A church of, what was it, 15,000 people plus and it closed in two weeks' time? Because the, their God became growth. Grow the church at any means necessary. I'm not interested in that. Do I want the church to go? Yeah, God's way. If it grows, praise God. If it shrinks, praise God. As long as His will is being accomplished, I don't care. Because that's, that's, that's peripheral. I want God to meet us here. And He says it only requires two. Or two or more gathered together in my name. There I will be in the midst of them. 
two or more, one person here, one person here. Guess who's right in between them? God. I only, we only need two. Do I want more? Absolutely. As many as God will bring, because God provides the increase. But just wanting the church to grow, anything grows. Cancer grows. Mold grows. Bacteria grows. Gangrene grows. I won't continue because some of you are getting grossed out. It, it's not about growth. That's great. I want the seats filled. But if that's our o- only object, we've missed it completely. And I'm not beating up on you guys. I'm not beating up on you guys. Actually, what I'm doing is I'm just using this as a, as a, as a foundational message because we're going to begin a series called I Know Nothing. And every week for the next I don't know how long, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world in the mind and the heart of God. We're going to talk about Jesus in his advent. We're going to talk about Jesus as in his childhood. We're going to talk about his baptism. We're going to talk about his ministry. We're going to talk about his uh, trip to Gethsemane. We're going to talk about his arrest and the judgment. We're going to talk about his crucifixion. We're going to talk about his death and his burial and his resurrection. We're going to talk about the descension into the earth. Uh, lower parts of the earth then we're going to talk about the 40 days and then we're going to talk about his ascension and his resurrection and then we're going to talk about his session meaning he's seated at the right hand of God and then we're going to talk about his intercession and then we're going to talk about his glorious return and then we're going to talk about the millennial reign and we're going to talk about the culmination of all things in the person of Jesus Christ so for the next several months we're going to talk about nothing but Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Leonard Ravenhill. He's my favorite preacher. Careful if you listen to him, he'll hurt your feelings. <laughs> he's, my, he's my favorite preacher. And he says this. He says, Christianity is Jesus Christ plus or minus nothing. The problem with our church, not our church specifically, but the problem with a lot of churches And the problem with a lot of cults is that we add or we take away. We say Christianity is Jesus Christ plus our system of merits. Or it's Jesus Christ plus our system of ordinances or sacraments. Or it's Jesus Christ plus our programs. Or it's Jesus Christ minus that aspect of, you know, judgment and hell and reproof and and, and all that stuff. Like, no, Jesus Christ plus or minus nothing. That's Christianity. Now, here is what I, where I want all of this to kind of, we're, we're approaching our landing, okay? We're approaching our landing. I'm not going to, it's going to take too much longer. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There are other scriptures like this throughout the New Testament where we have the ability through tradition or through mechanics or through mechanisms or strategies where we can 
take the power right out of the gospel. And I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to rest everything that we have. The enti- How many of you guys like gambling? In a Pentecostal church, I just ask who likes gambling. Come on. Who likes playing the lottery? Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah. I don't gamble, but I play the lottery. That's different. That's different. <laughs> Come on. How many of you guys have bought a lottery ticket in your life? If you've ever bought a lottery ticket, pre-saved, saved, I don't care. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That there is a form of gambling that is sanctified. There is. There is. Actually, one of the methods of apologetics was a guy about, from a guy named Blaise Pascal. And Pascal came up with what's called Pascal's Wager. And he said, I, if I live my entire life as a Christian, believing on God, serving and worshiping God, and then I die and I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. But if I live it as though it weren't right, and I don't live as a Christian, and then I die and I'm wrong, then I've lost everything. So he's like, the appropriate wager. But there's another form of gambling that I believe is sanctified, and that's this. I am willing to bet my entire future, the entire future of this church and this ministry, on the fact that God's going to show up. As long as we keep Jesus the main thing. Amen? Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. You know, God is so good. When I was asking God about this message, and I was going to just preach Jesus, 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 I determined, I resolved to know nothing. I made a resolution, a covenant before God to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As soon as I decided, and I said, okay, God, that's what I'm going to preach. We're going to start this series. You know, I was overcome with the worst form of anxiety. For days, I have had anxiety about preaching. Not just like the, that reverent fear you get every time you preach, but just anxiety about preaching about Jesus. And that's what I aim to do every time I preach, is to preach about Jesus. But for whatever reason, I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And this morning, during worship, they were singing. And the reason I got down on my knees this morning, and li- just down on my knees and just lifted my arms, the reason I did this was because when they sang those words in reckless love, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. I literally heard in my heart, God, I know that the song's intention is before I spoke a word as a, as a child growing up, before I ever spoke, you were already singing over me. Before I was ever formed, you already loved me. I know that's the intent of the song, but this morning, the way I heard it from the heart of God to me was before you ever stand behind that pulpit, before you ever open your mouth to speak a single word of that message, I'm already singing over you. I'm already rejoicing over you. I'm already showering you with my love and my presence because God is so good. You know what He wants? He wants obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, we can come up with all the strategies that we want to grow a church. But you know what? Just like you said, there's a way that God has that doesn't make sense. My wife used to be in banking too. And our budget used to look a whole lot different than it does now. Now it's just like, 
Woo, God, just show up because that's what it's going to take. You know, this number doesn't equal this number, but God, show up and show out. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to do that. Look, let me, let me tell you something. Joshua was a captain of the military. You guys are missionaries to the military. What if the commander of the military said, hey, I've got the strategy. We are going to take our army and we're going to go and walk around this opposing city. We're just going to walk around it. Oh, great, we're going to spy it out and we're going to set up snipers. No, 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 no. We're just going to walk around it. And then we're going to do the same thing the next day. And then the same thing the next day. And then the same thing the next day. And we're going to do that for six days. And then guess what on the seventh day? Oh, on the seventh day we're going to nuke them, right? No, 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 no. On the seventh day we're going to walk around seven times. Okay, what else are we going to do? Well, then the walls are going to fall down. Because we're going to set up explosives, C4. No, no, the wall, God's going to do it. They would be laughed off the base. And maybe even put in a psych ward. Because that strategy doesn't make sense to our natural understanding. What about this one? Hey, hey, they see that giant over there? I'm going to go fight him. Oh, great, 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 great. You're, you're going you're gonna to take a rocket launcher, right? No, no, no. Well, you're going to put on the king's armor, right? No. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to go get a pebble out of the stream. And then I'm going to get four more for his cousins up there on the hill. You ain't going to get backup ammo? I don't need backup ammo. God's strategy doesn't make sense. It's a natural understanding. But you know what? He asked for obedience. To be obedient to what he says in the moment. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And let me tell you, it's better than strategy too. That's why the day I came here, I said, I was asked, somebody asked me a question after our first service. Somebody said, well, do you have a strategy for reaching the youth? I said, no. <laughs> I don't. Because I can come up with a hundred different strategies for reaching their youth, but if God ain't in it, it don't work. And even if I get them, if it ain't time yet and I put the cart before the horse and I get ahead of God, it don't matter. I'm possibly just inoculating them against the gospel. See, we don't like to talk about that. When we give people just enough gospel to inoculate them against it. Because when Paul continues this, he says, the reason I did this, the reason that I resolved to put human wisdom and eloquence, listen, nobody here can argue and say that I'm eloquent. I say so many things behind this pulpit that shouldn't be said. I use words that shouldn't be said. I'm talking about according to orthodox preaching. I took a test and preached in front of a guy who was grading me on my preaching and I failed that somebody got saved. <laughs> I failed the test but somebody got saved. So I'm not orthodox. I'm not eloquent. I never made that claim. I put human wisdom. I put eloquence aside. And the whole reason is, is so that your faith rest on God's power and not on human wisdom. Because if it rests on me, you're going to be in for a bad road. Because I'm flaky. <laughs> I mess up. I offend people. I say stupid things. There are people who tell me I shouldn't say stupid behind the pulpit. I say dumb things. I sometimes act before I speak. I put my foot in my mouth a lot. 
But you know what? If I stand up here and say, God, I have nothing. I have nothing to give but what you give. Then guess what? Whether I'm here or not, you're still good. Because your faith ain't on me. Your faith is on him. That's why a lot of churches close when the pastor leaves. Because their faith is on the pastor and not on God. I don't want you to have faith in me. No more than what's good for us to have a relationship. I want you to have faith in God. I want you to know that whether I trip and fall flat on my face, I don't take you with me. You just say, hey, I'm here to help you up. Let's go pursue God together. That's why it's got to be Jesus. That's why it's got to be Jesus. Amen? So what is Christianity? It's Jesus Christ plus minus nothing. Amen? All right, let's be done.